I do uh, share from time to time in my preaching about uh, experiences from my school years. I promise I was not traumatized by my education. <laughs> uh, in studying for this and in thinking through how to begin this uh, passage, how to begin this sermon today, uh, I, I really, I think one of our strong topics today is inadequacy and there is really nothing that I can remember from my school years that made me feel more inadequate than sophomore chemistry. It was one of those classes that if you would have said, hey, uh, Kevin, a sophomore in high school, Kevin, you are going to be a history or a, a, a chemistry professor one day, I, I would have laughed at you. I would have said, there is no way. I am trying to keep my mouth above the water in sophomore chemistry. I know nothing about this. I'm literally writing down answers and trying to get enough uh, credit to pass this class. I got a B, I think, for, or a B plus for my semester grade, and I was elated uh, that I had gotten that. I remember well one of the tests that the teacher gave, and, and I wasn't the only one who struggled with this class. I don't know if it was just one of those combinations of communication or whatever, but she passed out the test, and of course, we're all riddled with anxiety. Anybody can relate? All right, I see a few school-aged people going, yes. All right, riddled with anxiety about what's going to happen, and I remember that we all read the first question, and... In unison, we just busted up laughing. We, read, we had no idea. And so it was just, this is hilarious. Like, we just studied for this, and we have no idea. Here we are in the first question, and we have, we have no idea. It's just overwhelming. Uh, you feel helpless. You feel like there's no way you're going to get through it. Eventually, somehow, we did. We improved in our knowledge, and, and uh, we, we made it. I don't know that anybody was held back our sophomore year because uh, of our particular chemistry class. Uh, but I, I say that this morning to get you thinking uh, maybe even a little bit deeper than chemistry. Maybe it's some topic uh, or knowledge uh, that you uh, have struggled with in, in your schooling and in, in college or even uh, earlier than that. Uh, but I want us to, to take that, that thought and that concept and to put it uh, right where we need to put it, which is to think about our relationship with God. I want to know how many of us have ever wondered or cried out to God or just felt plain useless like God could never use us. We had dreams of doing something uh, big or something for God, and you just wonder how God could ever get you to that place. How could I ever live out what God is putting on my heart to do? Maybe, maybe you're just blind today to it. You're not certain how God can use you. Um, your tears are blurring uh, a, a, your life because of a current situation you're in that, that is horrible. Well, uh, I, I don't want to comment on any of those specifically today, but the good news is that all of it is in view as we study Exodus 3, as we study this passage in the context of where we are and, and what God is doing. Just a quick reminder for those of you who may be joining us today, uh, welcome. Uh, we're in a little mini-series here in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, today uh, will be our third part of four, so we'll finish the chapter next week. The, the communication is ripe. Uh, it is amazing what God is doing. He has uh, appeared literally to Moses in a burning bush, 
and is communicating to him that he is going to be the one to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. We just said it in the memory verse. And we see Moses' struggle with that, even in the verse that we just said, uh, who am I? And so today, uh, we're a few verses past that. We're, we're working through that struggle, and we'll, we'll remind as we go along of what God's answer is. But we'll start out today thinking about the plan. Some of you are nuts and bolts people, and you, you like you may like theory, but you really like when theory gets carried over into practical. I want to know what the plan is. And so uh, at the very end of our passage, uh, last week, verse 14, uh, God replied to Moses. Uh, Moses had asked, who should I say sent them or sent me? Uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Powerful reminder, God's existence was going to be enough for Moses. That was the name that he used. It referred to his existence, his being, and he wanted Moses to be confident that his presence was really enough. And so uh, the, the, the first word of verse 16 today is go. Good. Go and do what? All right, let's get our hands dirty. Let's figure out what the plan is. It involves uh, involving others. Verse 16, go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them. I just want you to think about this for a minute. Think about the elders of Israel. This is not a, a group in Scripture at this point that has been really highlighted. We don't know a whole lot about their character. We don't know a whole lot about who they are. The word does, in fact, imply that there is age, which would also, within their culture, imply that there was wisdom. And so what I want you to do for just a minute, I think here in America and even in the the church in the United States, I think we struggle with this. I want you to imagine that there are older people around that God would command Moses to go to who were actually respected for the wisdom they have about their life and leadership. I just want us to start right there. Is that's what's on the page when God says, go to the elders of Israel. These are people who were in place, and these are people who were respected because they had wisdom, and they were older than a lot of the people that Moses was about to lead out of Egypt. So go and involve others. He wants to go and tell the elders, gather them. It's not just because this is a passion of mine. I love leading with a team. I love the seasoning that men who are older than I am can impart. And we all, uh, we, Titus 2, if you're a note taker in the New Testament, is a good chapter to, to read about relationships from men to men and women to women, about that, that idea of involving people who are older than we are. All right, so uh, I'll leave that there. I wanted to bring that out because it's here. Now, what happens is we see that uh, results are promised. Now, if you still have your eyes glued on this, uh, I'm going to get to verse 17, and you're going to notice that I skipped the part of verse 16. Don't worry, I'm going back. Here we go. Verse 17 says, And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so let's think about results being promised. So he says, go and gather the elders of Israel. 
Verse 17 then, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Maybe you just need to hear this morning that God's a God of promises and he's faithful to his promises. Believe it or not, we can get so disoriented that we wonder if God is ever going to do anything for us ever again. So maybe we'll just start by saying it's a good thing that God is portrayed here as a God who keeps promises and if he's a provider and you need him to provide, I'm going to tell you that he's going to provide. Stay with it. I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction. He had been making this promise for over 400 years and it was about to come true. Wow. That's our God, friends. That's our God. So the results are promised. Now here... Here's what gets my tears, and it takes us right back to last week. I want you to know, I want you to ask yourself, why are the results promised? Think about what Moses said, what we just read in the memory verse. Who am I? Who am I? Implicit in Moses going to God is that he can't do it. The results, the results are about God. The results are not about human leaders. It is very easy for us, especially in a day and age when it is easy to popularize leaders, it is very easy to think that results, even in in the church, that results are about leaders. The results are about God. Leaders have incredible responsibility. I will never deny that. But the success of the Christian church is not on the ingenuity of its pastors and leaders. It's not. It's on God who makes the promise. Here's James 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want to finish that. Take it out to verse 10. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Is this our cry? Not just as leaders, if you're leading or involved in ministry, but, but before God. Is this our cry? I want you to challenge the way that you think about ministry and how it happens and how the promises of God are fulfilled. We've said this morning that the promises The plan is to go and involve others, and that results are promised. I want you to think about this. Uh, Get the name of a leader in in mind. I love that leader because, and I want to challenge you for what comes after those dots. If you have somebody that you like, uh, who's a leader, who's a spiritual influence on you, I want you to think about how you would finish that. I love that leader because da 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 They do this, and they do this, and they do this. Well, here's the the better way to to talk about this. Here's the better way, which is, it's amazing how God is using so-and-so. It's amazing how God is working through so-and-so's leadership. 
It's amazing how that person seems to know exactly where God wants to go, and they've got a great relationship with him, and he's really leading and working in, in great power in their ministry and in their life. Moses didn't write this so we would exalt him. Moses wrote this so we would exalt God. Results are promised, but the results aren't about us. The results are for the glory of God. Okay, so that's the plan. Now, I didn't skip the middle of verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel. You heard that together. Say to them, here's what it says. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. This isn't a reminder, this isn't a history lesson about how great Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were. We could read through their stories in Genesis and we could see that their spirituality, their ability to follow God was far from spotless. I'm not trying to stain these leaders of the Bible. I'm not trying to say that I or we are are better than any of these people. God goes out of his way to show us the human weaknesses that leaders have so that we will trust in him when he is working. That's what exactly what he told to Moses. This is the formula. The results are promised, but it's because of God who keeps the promises. And I would submit to you that if God can keep the promises through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they didn't deter God from keeping the promises, then neither will you or I. Wow. It's about his ability to keep the promise, his ability to keep the covenant and make it, despite whatever craziness unfolds among people. That's our God. Those are the promises that he that he gives. Now, what results will happen? Verse 18. They will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king. That means others will listen. All right? Not only do you go to the elders, uh, they will listen. Verse 18. They will listen to your voice. Now, you may wonder... Did it ever happen that the elders of Israel went with Moses and Aaron to go and talk to Pharaoh? Did they ever go together and do that? Well, the Bible doesn't show us that picture where everybody is together. We know that at the very least, Moses and Aaron, when they went, represented the elders. We don't know if the elders went along. So we know that they're, they're going to, to listen to, to what happens. Now... Let me ask for your Bible interpretation skills this morning. Does this say that every time you think God is challenging you or leading you to do something, that everybody is going to be the biggest fan of whatever God has put on your heart? Oh, I heard a pretty resounding no. That means you are skilled Bible interpreters. Either that or you just went along with the crowd and you weren't really sure what was happening. (laughs) No. Okay. Got startled. I hope you didn't get startled, all right? The answer is no. But it is encouraging to see that as much opposition as we know Moses will face, we know that there will be people who will hear him and they will participate with him. They will go. You, the elders of Israel, go to the king of Egypt and say, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us and now please let us go. Three days journey. 
we know that others will participate. Now, this is another step. This is really good. You and I, uh, we could take a video camera and uh, we could go down on Kenmore Boulevard and we could get some people to listen. All right, if we said, hey, God is going to do this thing and he, he wants to involve you, we could draw a crowd, certainly. I've done that before. It's kind of fun. Have you ever taken a video camera somewhere for some sort of a project? A lot of times uh, people want to be on camera. They want to know what you're doing or they want to know what you're about. And then, so people start to gather. And who are these people and what do they have a camera for? I, lo- I like doing that sort of thing. It's, it's sort of fun. Well, you can always get people to listen. But then all of a sudden, oh, well, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not sure we're going to participate. Well, the encouragement for Moses is that others are going to participate. There are going to be people who kind of take up the cause and are willing to go with him. So I want us to go back, and just for a moment, to the concept of the elders being present in this passage. No matter exactly how this got fulfilled, the way the story is told is Moses and Aaron become the mouthpieces before Pharaoh. But what needs to happen is there there, there had better be some strong and wise and willing and agreeing people behind those public faces. This screams the need for accountability. It's why somebody who says, I'm going to go be a missionary, but I don't need any accountability, just support me, would make me really, 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 really nervous. Ministry in the Old Testament and in the New Testament has been done and done well when there is accountability when there is a team approach. Yes, there may be some out front faces, and that's true in both the Old and the New Testament. But Lone Ranger missionaries or, or Lone Ranger visionaries who want to run church and don't want, don't want to have any good counsel around them, look out. Look out. There better be some people in place to speak difficult words, to push back, to ask hard questions, to say, hey, I'm praying about this. Hey, I'm with you. Hey, I'm not so sure over here. Let's get this together and make sure we're moving as God is moving. So we know that people will listen. We know they will participate. But all of the best structure in the world, here's where all of you practical people who are loving the nuts and the bolts of the plan are about to get frustrated. Okay? Sorry, I'm going to leave you with some frustration because that's what Moses does in the way that he writes this. Anybody notice something new in the, in the lobby this week when you came in the door? Anybody notice? I got a picture. Look at that. All right. We put up uh, this week. Well, not we. Like, I was involved. <laughs> if I was involved, it looked a whole lot worse. All right. This is great. All right. So we had some faithful servants do some painting and hang some banners. And what these banners communicate are the three main purposes of our church. And that really is derived out of the purpose statement that has been in our church's constitution for a long, long time. So we're not remaking anything or redoing anything. We've had a banner in the hallway. Now we've got three banners that say worship, grow, and share. And so uh, what do you think is the outcome? 
that, wow, because we have this new wall and these new banners that all of a sudden everything's going to be perfect. Woo! Everybody's going to get it. Everybody's going to know exactly what worship and grow and share are all about. And there's never going to be any trouble. And, and, and nobody's ever going to have to be taught again because we hung these banners, didn't you know? Oh, they're just so pretty and they just communicate. No! That's not going to happen. We know that. We know there's going to be, be work and, and laboring together and working through things together. And, and how are we going to do this? How are we going to encourage each other as a congregation to worship and, and grow in our faith and share our faith? How are we going to do that? Well, here's what we need to know. The structure, the plan, the going to the elders, it wasn't enough. The structure of here's what we're going to do, while that may be wise to communicate these three things, it's not enough. We can't rely on three things or three purposes or a great organizational chart. And that's because others' obedience and others' willingness to be a part of this isn't enough. What do you mean it's not enough? I want you to think of this this morning on a personal level. I want you to think uh, before we think about ministry and things that God may have you doing, I want you to think about sin. This is a picture of sin. It is a picture of God's people being delivered and being led out of Egypt. It is a picture of believers getting away from things that enslave them. That's why we read from Romans 6 this morning. It makes that great parallel between sin and freedom. Well, that's what this story is. And so I want you to think for a minute, imagine what stands in your way when it comes to sin. Imagine you're Moses and Pharaoh is standing in your way and you don't compare to him. You don't have the power or the wisdom to match with Pharaoh. Now think about your sin and you know some of your major sins and you know that you haven't been crafty enough over these years in fighting them to overcome them on your own. The process in evaluating all this is the same. I want you to see the parallels. Now, think of the story that is told here. Think of the account of Moses hearing from God, struggling with the call, going back to God. Think about the way this is unfolding, and he's, he's, uh, you're going to identify really easily. we we'll say, well, I wonder what's going to happen. Well, I'm not up to the task. I know that I can't do this. Ever felt like, oh, I can't be used by God. There's no way. Now, it might excite us to hear a little bit of the plan, and it may be exciting that God is actually laying out a plan, but notice that there is no direct strategy for overcoming Pharaoh and getting out of Egypt. What does verse 19 say? But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So Moses and Aaron and the elders of Israel by themselves would be no earthly threat to Pharaoh. None. Unless compelled by a mighty hand. You and I, friends, are no earthly threat to our sin and the slavery that it keeps us in. We are no earthly threat to Satan. We are not, by ourselves, going to strategize our way around and out of sin. I don't care what the banners on the wall say. It won't happen. We need the power of God. Our sin will not lose its power in our lives until it is compelled by a mighty hand, the power of God. 
which is faith. Faith. When we finally give up and humble ourselves and say in faith, who am I? I can't do this. I need somebody's help. That's when we understand the cross. That's when we understand the power. That's when we understand the suffering of Jesus for us. His death, his humiliation, his torture, his blood in our place. Everything that we deserved, he received. We need the power of God. So when it comes to personal life, growth, maybe you're here today and you're on the fence and you're, you're considering committing to following Jesus, I want you to see this, number one, that you need the power of God. There's no strategy to get you to heaven that doesn't involve you in faith going to God and saying, I trust Jesus and his death and his resurrection for my forgiveness and my eternal life. That's the way it has to happen. That's the plan. We can't rely on ourselves. I want you to think about ministry for a moment. Many of you in here do great ministry. I love working with you. I love being on the team. I love sharing wisdom, and I love exchanging ideas, and I, I love being a part of those things. Is there any great thing that we're actually going to do together that is a product of our some effort and basic human abilities? No, we need the power of God. People do not experience mighty moves of God without humbling themselves before God and saying, would you come and would you work in me and would you work through me? That's the picture that we need to have in our minds is to say we are not enough. There is nothing that will happen in our lives, in our ministries, unless it is by the might and the power of God himself. Here's the plan. Not the step-for-step -step strategy. Not the, here's exactly the way it looks in every, everything. Remember, Jesus healed in different ways. Uh, physically, he heals spiritually on different timetables in different ways. Different challenges are overcome by different, uh, different uh, scriptures and and, and, and different amounts of time and different people are involved and God works in us to do these things in different ways. The plan for us is to rely on God. These people felt the tension of slavery. They wanted out. And the only way it would happen was by the power of God. That's the plan. Rely on him. Know that there will be people who listen. Know there will be some people who want to get involved. Those are great things. We should be encouraged when God uses us to do that. But the actual implementation of reality, of what God wants to do, saving souls, growing a church, seeing battles won, seeing sin overcome, baptisms, new members, none of that is the result of a group of human people. That is the power of God manifested among believers. Same formula we see in Exodus 3. I want you to be challenged. I want you to be built up. I want you to be encouraged. If you feel a little bit more right now, like, hey, I can keep going. Hey, God's going to do something. Hey, somebody might listen. Then good. That's an end result that I have prayed for and desired 
It is, it is real. Use this this morning as encouragement to just keep going. And please, if you have questions about what you believe, you're not sure, do I believe in Jesus? Uh, uh, stay with me as we pray. Uh, ask follow-up questions later. We want to be here and to be helpful. We hope that uh, this is ultimately for our challenge, for our growth, for our encouragement.